Okay, I have the privilege of calling up Nkosi Nati, if you wouldn't mind coming up. We are going through the identity series, but I said to Nkosi Nati, why don't you just preach on anything on your heart? So we are going to move away a little bit from that. Let me pray for my brother. I met with, we had coffee this week. I bumped into your wife three times this week in different parts of the city, eh? Um, but um, he was saying to me, he says, you know, I haven't preached for eight months. So he says, I'm quite nervous. He says, but as I get closer, I'm getting more excited. <laughs> and God, we pray that all the nerves would go and there would just be a spiritual empowering upon him in this moment. God, we are wanting to listen to this man because you speak through a man, but we so want to hear what it is you want to say th- to us. So open our ears so we can receive your message to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I think I'm still nervous. And um, I don't feel prepared. But I know I've prepared. Uh, but my, my brain is suddenly going blank. Let me... Um, I'm just changing my glasses. The doctor recently told me I need to get uh, bifocal lenses. And I thought, no ways, I'm 45. <laughs> That's for 50-year-olds. So I carry two sets of glasses so I can see when I, when I read. I'm going to try to keep this short. Um, can you join me in Matthew chapter 21, verses, uh, we're going to read verses 12 to verse 17. Maybe I should hold this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. There's a few themes that um, excite me as I go through the Bible from, from time to time. And, and this is one of them, the, this, this particular scripture. But within the scripture, um, the reason why I love this portion of scripture is it also encapsulates two or three other themes that really, really get me excited um, when I see them on their own. But here, they're all together. So let's read. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. It's interesting that some some translations say, but you are making it or you are turning it into a marketplace. Um, For those in the marketplace, a den of robbers. Anyways, (laughs) the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? 
you, Lord, have called forth praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Amen. So, here is an amazing story. Well, number one, I love the, the whole picture of um, tables being turned upside down um, by Jesus. And I've had this portion of scripture quoted many times. Maybe it is important to say at this point that um, some Bible scholars believe that this was the second time Jesus was doing this. In John chapter 2, you will find the same story, but apparently it was earlier on in his ministry where he drove out money changers and people who were selling livestock in the, temp in the temple courts. And he quoted the same words, and this is actually scripture that he's quoting from Isaiah, I think 56 verse 7, my house... Um, shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Um, it, it, it ends off there um, in Isaiah, in the original um, quotation that Jesus is quoting. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, one translation will say, and another will say for all nations. And I just, I just love that. I mean, I could just stop there and, and let's just ponder that. That God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all peoples, for all nations. And somehow that is, that is questioned um, these days in which we live in. Somehow we've taken the house of God and we are building something that we call God's house, but as we build it, we tend to want it to make it our own or for, for a certain kind of people. And yet, here is Jesus, not today, not last year, not 10 years ago, but many, many years ago, already proclaiming that his house is to be a house of prayer for all peoples. I think it's in chapter 24 of Matthew. I didn't prepare this. I'm getting excited here. <laughs> where Jesus says... Again, it says the end will only come when people, when all peoples, people from all nations come together to worship. Only then will the end come. And yet, some of us desire to see some kind of an end, a glorious end, of whether it's suffering or whether it's us one day getting into heaven, and yet we are not interested in all peoples. We are not interested in all peoples. As you can see, I'm immediately making the assumption that all peoples start and end with nationalities, right? Races. But as we will see here, it is not only nationalities and races, because I can be right, and I'm probably, I am right, People of every tongue, people of every race, people of every color or creed. But that's not the summation of all peoples as we can see. Even for me, I can um, unsee or overlook someone. Even though my description of all peoples is probably the most comprehensive. 
Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. The blind and the lame are amongst all peoples. So it's not only those that we can imagine or those that we can see. It's, it's, it's kind of like there is this big welcome in, or there should be this big welcome in the house that is the house of the Lord. This welcome that includes all peoples beyond just what you and I can comprehend to be all peoples. Who do you see when you walk out of here into your car to drive home? That person is also included. Who is the most difficult to imagine having a coffee with or a meal with at your table in your own, in your home? That person is also included. As you can see, it was difficult for the chief priests and, and the likes to imagine this. And it didn't end there, but the children as well were kind of like not supposed to be there or to be near this, this sin. The chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things. So they are not, they're not denying that these are wonderful things that are happening here. These are miraculous things that he did. And then they had the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were frustrated, they were angry, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. And Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read, again he quotes another scripture, from from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Lord, help us um, and give us eyes to see. Give us, yeah, give us eyes to see, Lord God, what, what you see. Give us eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us. Give us eyes to see people the way that you see them. Give us eyes to see our children and to hear them the way that you see them and hear them. Give us eyes, Lord, to perceive your house the way that you perceive it, a house of prayer for all peoples. Amen. You know, I could speak a lot on prayer, and I love prayer. My role is I lead a, a, a prayer movement here in South Africa, so I can, I can turn this message upside down right now and speak on prayer. But I'm not going to do that. But the reason I love prayer is, you know, every time you start singing or you start worshiping, it's, it's inevitable you're going to end up praying. And every time you start praying, you're going to end up worshiping. And every time you sit to listen to a sermon, some, somehow you're going to end up praying. Or every time you start, if you are preacher inclined, if you start praying, you're going to end up receiving a sermon and getting an idea for a sermon and writing it down. So I think it makes sense that Jesus would refer to his house as the house of prayer because 
prayer is actually the primary thing. Everything else that we do in the house of God is an expression of prayer, is an expression of connection and communication with God. Prayer is basically connection and communication with God. And prayer is most powerful when prayer is, is simple. And by the way, we've, we've tried, we often try to give prayer a language and, and we say to people, pray this way and, and then your prayers will be heard. What prayer is actually at its most simple form is just communication with God. And actually prayer, in prayer, God invites us to a platform of vulnerability with him that any thought any word that comes out of your mouth, any, can, can be a prayer. You don't only need to pray just because you're at church and now you feel like you've prayed. You don't only feel like you've prayed when you've been to a prayer room or when you've been to a particular position, though, though those things are helpful, but you could be driving or you could be in the middle of something and just a sigh could be could be, could be prayer, because in that side, you are like, you are extending a God help me. And by the way, the word, the word pray in the old English was simply to ask. So people prayed every time they asked someone for a glass of water, they were praying, I pray thee, give me a glass of water. May you please give me a glass of water. It's simply to ask. Does anyone here have anything to ask? And to ask from God, you have prayed. Does anyone here need anything? I, 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 I suppose none of us would be here this morning if our lives were perfect. If we didn't need to hear anything, if we didn't need anything from God or from anyone. If there was not even an ounce of an area in your life that is where you are desperate, you would, you wouldn't have, you would have no need to be here this morning. But you are here because you need something from God ultimately. And so you are called to pray. You have, called, you have come to the right place. Because here our whole focus is to pray, to connect with God. To let him know what our needs are and to expect, hopefully expect for him to meet our needs at any point in time. Whatever those needs might be. So my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Again, it's important to note here that right now, I mean, this whole story, I've often read it and then I stop. I'm like, even when you read it in John chapter 2 or you read it in other Gospels, you're like, Jesus walks into the temple. In John chapter 2, he makes a whip and as much as we'd love to think that he applies it on the people, but he's actually using it to drive the livestock out of the temple. He's not hitting the people. But he, he walks in, he overturns the table, their money is, is, is thrown all over the floor. He drives them out. Um, the Pharisees are, are watching, are looking on. Let me just, you know, these people had permission to be there. That permission was given to them by the Pharisees and the chief priests who were in charge of the temple courts. They were looking after the temple. These people have permission to be there, and Jesus walks in, and he drives them out, and not a single one of them protests. 
Not a single one of them says, no, I have permission to be here. Who are you? And by the sounds of it, this was not just one person who was selling and exchanging money. It was a, a, a number of them. So either Jesus was a, a muscle man or this is a miracle on its, in itself. That Jesus would walk into a room full of people and basically over 10 tables with, their, with, with, with what belongs to them, which is valuable, which is money, and then tell them to get, to get out. And they get out. With, with, no, with no fight. It is wonderful indeed because it says the priests and the chief priests and the Pharisees were watching the wonderful things that were happening that he was doing. It is wonderful. What authority is he drawing from as he is doing this? He is drawing from the word. He says it is written. Literally all the words that he spoke whilst he was doing everything that he was doing are scripture. So God gives you and I, I mean, I'm, I'm using, I could be having my Bible here, but I'm using the iPad, but this is, this is the word. Simply by quoting the word, people listen and they immediately exit and they make way for Jesus. I mean, back in John chapter 2, in John chapter 2, earlier on in his ministry, he was I mean, he might have been known by now by Matthew 21. But two chapters into the book, when the first time this story happened, he is unknown. Imagine just someone we don't, maybe if Terran were to get up here and say something with some level of authority and say, get up and get out, we would get up and get out because we think maybe he knows something we don't know because already we see him as a leader here in this space. But if someone were to walk in right now, we've never seen them, we don't know them, and they start telling you, something about, you know, that, that, that only someone that you know should be speaking to you about, you, you, you would kind of be thinking, who are you to speak to me that way? But here's Jesus who's unknown, and just by quoting scripture, people listen to him, and people give him way, and people move out. Which is a miracle on its own. I was getting too excited that those were not my main points. <laughs> they were good points, though. My main points are really what happens when Jesus walks into a house. And I want to talk about the house of God and, and speak about the house of God as the physical house, but also speak and think of myself, my body. And I want you to think of yourself as your body, as the house of God. Because Jesus says, I think it's in, um, it's in John chapter 14, where he says, when we obey every command that he gives, he and the Father will come and they will make a home in that person. So I am, I am God's home. I am God's house. So every time Jesus steps into my life, here are, are some shifts that I, I see happening as I see them happening here in this portion of Scripture. The first um, shift that I see happening is Jesus gives this house identity, purpose, and function. Jesus steps into the temple and he drives out the money changers. He drives out, um, you know, everyone and he says, 
my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. He gives it, he gives us purpose, he gives us identity, he gives it identity, he gives it function. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. So he deals firstly when he enters your life, your heart, your, your body, he, he settles issues of identity. This is who you are. And it does that, actually, and I think in this series on identity, we're going to get there, actually, when we, when we look at, when we look at um, the father as, um, as, um, as, you know, as, as, as one from whom we draw our identity. I think part of the miracle that people immediately listen to him as he quotes scripture is somewhat his identity is revealed. In fact, one Bible commentator says there must have been his body shown in that moment with glory. That when you looked in his eyes, you were struck with this amazing, glorious kind of being in that moment. That the, all they could do was just, was just to obey, to get, to get up and to, and to leave. So he reveals his identity, who, who he truly is to them in that moment... And at the same time, he states what their identity should be, identity and purpose and function should be. The house of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. Point number two that Jesus does when he steps in here, we see the blind and the, and the lame and the needy, you know, the needy, the poor, they come to the house. They find healing, and they are healed. So all of a sudden, it makes me think of a story in actually in Luke chapter 7. They, um, is it Luke chapter 7? Let me see. Yeah, Luke chapter 7, verse 44. A, a woman who is referred to as a, as a sinful woman comes into a house where Jesus was reclining and having dinner at the invitation of a, of a Pharisee called Simon. And she starts weeping and she pours her tears onto Jesus' feet and she takes an, an alabaster box with expensive perfume, she breaks it, she anoints her feet and she wipes them with her hair. And people look on with indignance again as we see that as they look on here with indignance and they say, if he was truly a prophet, he would know how sinful this woman is who's doing this to him. And his response to the person, to his host, is to ask him this question. Simon, do you see this woman? And right there as I read those words and I come back to Matthew chapter 21, I'm like, number one, he comes in to declare what the purpose of the house is and the identity of the house should be. But number two, he comes and he makes the unseen sin. Simon, do you see this woman? And the question is, do you see these people? These people probably had been there all along. The blind and the lame. But no one was giving any attention to them because the most important thing was what was happening on the tables. But now all of a sudden that the tables are gone, the real people that had been unseen, the people that had been unseen are now there to be seen. Jesus, when he, whenever he steps into a room, whenever he steps into a place, when he steps into a life, 
He brings the unseen and he makes the, he makes the unseen seen. He is so consistent right through scripture how he deals, how, how he, I mean, think of um, the blind beggar in Luke chapter 18. He shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They are trying to shut him up, trying to push him to, to the edges, trying to push him to the margins. But Jesus stops and he sees him. He gives him attention. Again, it is said here that Jesus takes the side. He, when, whenever there's a side to take, Jesus will always side with the unseen. Jesus will always side with the poor. Jesus will always side with the children. To the point, especially about the children, where he says, unless you turn and you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, wow, children are favored in the, in the presence of the Lord. There was some nice acting there. <laughs> I love it. We prepared that just for you. To the point that Jesus says, unless you turn and you become like a little child, you cannot enter the, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is consistent with this. The unseen becomes seen in his presence. The next point, number three, don't worry, I've got four points. Number three, there's a place for children. Children are accepted. They find a place of belonging. This place during, those, during that culture at that time was only reserved for adults. But here, children all of a sudden appear as well. In a place where normally they are unseen and, un, and, 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 and unwelcome, they are there and they are worshipping. They are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees are frustrated, are angry on two points, on two occasions. One, it's children that he's allowing to come into the temple. But two, it is what the, is coming out of children's mouth that is frustrating them. This praise for this man, yes, he's doing something wonderful. We, we, we acknowledge that it's wonderful what's happening, healing the blind, healing the lame. But the praise that he's receiving... That is frustrating to us. And here's a point here about children. There's a lot we can learn from a child as grown-ups. You know, I love newborn, newborn babies. Newborn baby is so dependent on mommy that everything, literally, everything is, is, is mommy. Like, cry Mommy gives you, you know, gives you the boob. <laughs> Cry, mommy changes your nappy. Like, you are completely and totally dependent. Just imagine a newborn baby, with, you know, ignored by its mom. It's the end of the world for that child, for that baby. And so Jesus says, unless you can, you can come to a place of that kind of dependence on me, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How dependent are you on God? How, how dependent are you on God answering your prayer this morning? Or do you have another kind of plan cooking on the side? Because you can. And so Jesus is like, be so dependent on me. 
Be so excited by my noticing you. I mean, like, kids get excited when you notice them. When you lock eyes with them and you say, wow, well done, they get excited like this is the best thing that, that they've ever had. So Jesus notices these children, and, he, and in response, they praise him, Hosanna to the son of David. Like, where do you think children might have learned to sing like that, to say those kinds of things? Children are like sponges. They probably had been hanging around the temple courts on the edges because they were not allowed at the center or in front, but they'd been, they'd been hearing these things said by the, by the grown-ups. And so these things, are, they are carrying these things, but they don't know it. And so it is with you, a child of God. Often I find that I go through scripture and it doesn't make sense. I'm just reading and reading and none of it is exciting me because often as grown-ups we read and we expect a revelation with every line that we read. But I'm like, I'm, I'm like one of these kids who are hanging out, who are hanging out amongst the, the grown-ups and they're hearing the grown-ups worship and do all these things and do. And then a day will come when the Holy Spirit will appropriate all that I've been hearing from, them, from, from the edges and appropriate it into the right moment. Which is why we must always, I mean, like, it, it's, it's such a beautiful thing to have kids amongst us. It's not a waste of time. But that's how you and I should be like as well, with how we pursue God and the things of God. It might not make sense today, but tomorrow the Holy Spirit might cause it. Who, who has ever had that experience? You had something or you read something, it didn't make sense, but then all of a sudden, boom, it just comes in the right moment. You had a song, there is nothing better than this, and you're like, right now it doesn't make sense, but I tell you, on Wednesday, you're going to be in a you're going to be driving, and then all of a sudden, you'll find that song just, just bubbling up in your spirit, and you find yourself singing the song. So what we learn, the Holy Spirit comes to appropriate, to bring application in the right time, in the right moment. And there's one thing that we learn here from these children worshiping Jesus in the way that they are worshiping. And of course, I've already spoken, I'm, I'm mentioning this as part of, of this point on children. Worship flows and worship abounds in the, in the house of God. God has prepared praise. God has ordained praise in his house. So these are the four things that I see happening here as Jesus enters, as Jesus enters the house. And the four things I, would, I want to invite us to opening ourselves up to. May we open ourselves up to Jesus giving us identity and declaring what our purpose is and declaring what our function is as well in the body. As he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. What are you? Who are you? And what is your specific purpose? What is your calling? And I think Jesus is here this morning ready with an answer for you. And perhaps you, you know, as, as you do that, and perhaps some of us 
need, need our eyes open. Who is the blind? Who is the lame? Who is the blind beggar? Who is, who is the sinful woman in my own world? We need to ask Jesus that. Who is the unseen in my life? Who is the unseen in my neighborhood? Who is the unseen in my family? Sometimes we have unseen people in our own families. Sometimes we have unseen people in our own families. If you're from a big family, you know they are just people that you kind of not, don't see. And you know, so who is the unseen in your life? Who is that person that you need to just stop and and give attention to and give a welcome to in your own life? And three, which areas of my life do I need to become like a child? Which areas of my life do I need to become like a little child and have the same kind of um, excitement about, about the presence of God, about the presence of Jesus in my life? Have the ex- same excitement about who he is? Have the same excitement, but also not just excitement, but, but dependence as well? Trust. And just make up maybe your own list of the relationship between a child, a little child, and its parent. And then say, in which area of my life do I need to become like this? And then finally, how might I create more space in my life for worship? How might I create more space for my, in my life for worship? Because it is our worship that actually carries the power. I mean, worship, our worship is frustrating to the opposing forces of the kingdom of heaven. It's frustrating. I mean, they're so, they're frustrated, they're indignant. It's frustrating. So you want to frustrate the enemy's camp? Worship. How might I worship some more in my life? I think sometimes even I do this lately, and um, I'm landing here, Terran. Maybe we can go back to more worship and, and pray. But even I sometimes, I, I get so controlled by, by, by my circumstances, things that are hard, things that are difficult, things that are not working out my, my lack, things that I do not have. And man, there's a lot of lack. And you get controlled by that, and you forget the actual freedom that is, that, that is there for your mind, for your soul, for your body, the freedom that is there when you just, the relief in worship, in worship. I mean, I keep coming back to this song. I particularly love this song because recently I had an experience. Um, I was at a, at a conference somewhere, and then this song became kind of like a theme, like every session that we had will start with worship, and somehow would end up singing this song, there's nothing better than this, there's nothing better than this. And then we had a worship, a one session that was just all worship. And then we got to this song, and God did something really beautiful in my heart because I realized, eventually, in that moment, I realized how controlled I'd been by my difficult circumstances, that it, was, it had become hard and near impossible to worship. And as I internalized this song and I started singing it, I started 
feeling the freedom from the heavy weight that I was carrying. And I, there was just such a freedom. Nothing really changed. No one said, yay, Kosinati, you've won the lotto and your financial problems are no more right now. But in that moment, there was freedom. And so I sent my wife a message. I said, I don't know if you've heard this song before, but this is powerful. And she said, ah, this song is old. (laughs) I've been listening to this song for a few years now. And probably I've I've heard it before, but it just never registered. And I realized I needed more worship in my life. As I lay down prostrate on the floor, just singing this song, these words over and over and over again. He does really turn situations around. He does. He does. He does bring joy where there's been where there's been pain. He does turn situations around. He does bring breakthrough where there's been where you've been hitting a wall, wall after wall after wall. He does bring peace where there's no peace. He does bring healing. He actually he does. And and, and, and it's in worship that we begin to interact with, with his ability to, to do those things and to even do them for me. That brings joy and all of a sudden restores hope for the situation to turn. And so, yeah, those are some of the thoughts I had this morning. Yeah. Yeah.